Let's open up in the Bible now to Ephesians chapter 1. Thank you. One person reciprocated the declaration of love. <laughs> Ephesians chapter 1. We're continuing in our series, Identity Issues, God's Glory in Us Through Christ's Work for Us. And this morning's message is entitled, Discontentment and Blessing. Discontentment and Blessing. We're going to get into uh, really the bulk of the text that we're looking at. We're just taking one verse a week, but we're going to get into verse 3. Now, here's what you need to know. From verse 3 to verse 14 in the original Greek is one sentence. It's one sentence. Uh, 202 words in the Greek. One sentence long. Only Paul does that kind of junk. Like, that's crazy. Right? If you would have wrote a sentence that long in school, they would have failed you. But under the anointing of the Holy Spirit, the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, Paul writes this 202-word long Greek sentence. In the New Living Translation that we're reading and preaching from today, it's 309 words. And we'll take the next several weeks to study this one giant sentence. We've punctuated it in English because we kind of need to. Um, but in the Greek, it's, it's one sentence, it's one thought. So we'll read it right now, starting in verse 3 of Ephesians chapter 1. Paul writes and says, All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ. Even before he made the world, God loved us. And chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family. By bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. This is what he wanted to do and it gave him great pleasure. Verse 6. So we praise God for the glorious grace he has poured out on us who belong to his dear son. He's so rich in kindness and grace that he purchased our freedom with the blood of his son and forgave our sins. He has showered us with kindness along with all wisdom and understanding. Verse 9. God has now revealed to us his mysterious plan regarding Christ. A plan to fulfill his own good pleasure. And this is a plan. At the right time, he will bring everything together under the authority of Christ. Everything in heaven and on earth. Furthermore, because we are united with Christ, we have received an inheritance from God. For he chose us in advance, and he makes everything work out according to his plan. God's purpose was that we Jews who were first to trust in Christ would bring praise and glory to God. And now you Gentiles have also heard the truth, the good news that God saves you. And when you believed in Christ, he identified you as his own by giving you the Holy Spirit whom he promised long ago. The Spirit is God's guarantee that he will give us the inheritance he promised and that he has purchased us to be his own people. He did this so we would praise and glorify him. Wow, Lord, all praise and honor and glory to you. Thank you, God, for that one amazing sentence that has truly changed the course of history and is changing the course of our lives as we get a, a fresh and fuller revelation 
of God, who you are and what you've done for us because of your love through your son Christ and how that now makes us new and different and altogether yours. Lord, we ask that as we study this long sentence for the next several weeks, one verse at a time, that not an ounce of its truth would be lost on us. Holy Spirit, give us insight, wisdom, knowledge, and understanding. Open our minds to comprehend your truth. Open, open our hearts to respond to your truth. By the power of your Spirit, for the glory of God, transform our lives. And Lord, I just want to say in front of my brothers and sisters here, because we love each other, I, I just want to say that more than ever, I, I feel unworthy to be preaching. I feel ill-equipped and, and not in any way deserving of this privilege and this joy. Lord, my, I don't sin any less than anyone here. I'm, I'm no more righteous than anyone here. But thank you for your blood by which I've been cleansed. Thank you for your spirit by which I've been enabled. And so all our hope is in you, Jesus. You come and speak to us in spite of me for your glory. We ask it together in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. If you really want to understand something, you ask an expert in that particular thing. And not one who's an expert by name only or an expert in theory, not somebody who just studies something, not an armchair quarterback, so to speak, right? But someone who's an expert in reality, someone who has actually experienced this thing that you're interested in and actually done it and been a part of it. For example, if you wanna know about pain, you ask somebody who has truly suffered. If you want to know about surfing, you ask someone who can actually surf. And if you want to know about contentment and discontentment, you ask somebody who has had everything this world has to offer. John D. Rockefeller was the founder of the Standard Oil Company, died in 1937, just two months before his 98th birthday. And he was the first American billionaire. And if you adjust for inflation, most would say that he's the most wealthy human being who has ever lived. At the time of his death, his, his wealth, his estate far exceeded that of Bill Gates and others. He, he's the wealthiest person who has ever lived. John D. Rockefeller. And on one occasion, someone came and said to him, how much money is enough? And his answer just a little bit more. More than anybody had ever had, more than anybody has ever had, how much is enough? Just a little bit more. Discontentment. Discontentment is this restless longing within us for more. This restless longing in us for better circumstances. It's that thing in us that keeps us from ever feeling quite satisfied, that always needs just a little bit more discontentment. It's that thing in us that causes us to want to cheat on our taxes, 
It's that thing in us that causes us to want to cheat on our spouses, steal from our employers, refuse to tithe, neglect our children so that we could work longer hours, and augment our bodies with plastic. Discontentment. Proverbs 27 speaks of it in verse 20 when it says, The eyes of man are never satisfied. The eyes of man are never satisfied. It's true, isn't it? Our eyes never seem to be satisfied. In fact, the, the smartest, most savvy, most successful, highest grossing companies in the world count on that biblical truth that our eyes are never satisfied. I, I mean, how many of you have bought the latest gadget from Apple, only to find out that the new generation, the latest version, comes out in a month. Right? Any of us who are addicted to those sort of things and get them all the time, we know that they're always the next one around the bend. Why does every single car company have a 2012 model? What was wrong with the 2011 model? Well, most likely, in most cases, nothing was wrong with the 2011. But you can bet that the newer one will be better than the older one. Even though the old one was fantastic, quite frankly. Why? Why is the newer one going to be better? Why is there a newer one? Because the eyes of man are never satisfied. And they know the most savvy the highest grossing, the most successful, the smartest companies know that if they make a newer, better one, we'll buy it. The question is, why? Why will we buy it? Why are we never satisfied? Oh, I, I, I know the succinct answer, because we're sinners, Pastor Britt. Yes, yes, I understand that. But what in particular causes the eyes of man to never be satisfied? The problem is not the product, right? We can actually be satisfied with the old one. I was actually okay when I had a home phone and not an iPhone. I was okay. The world kept going around. I survived. My 1999 Ford Expedition got me to the beach just as well as my 2007 Ford Expedition. I was actually okay when I had that car. It's not the product that's the problem, nor is the problem our, our circumstances. We often think that that's it. If I, if I just had better circumstances, and yet we've heard of, haven't we, haven't we heard of men and women and children in mud huts that are more content than the men, women, and children in mansions that we know personally? Haven't we heard of content people somewhere who have much worse circumstances and fewer products? It's not the products, it's not the circumstances. And in fact, it, it could be argued and it may be observed that the best products and the best circumstances seem to actually yield greater discontentment. Wouldn't you agree? Why? Well, because the best products in the best circumstances only serve to highlight 
accentuate the actual problem. You see, in acquiring the latest version, the better circumstances, the bigger home, the new promotion, the younger woman, the better appearance, we are shocked when we discover the same sort of restless discontent that we had before. Why didn't that fix my problem? I went to great lengths to attain that. Why don't I feel better? Why do I still have this restlessness? Why am I not satisfied? And there it is that we find. What we are actually discontent with is ourselves. It's not the product. It's not our circumstances. What we are actually discontent with is ourselves. The accumulation of those things and the improvement of circumstances only made the problem more glaring. In fact, it only proved that the problem is us, not things and circumstances. Because when we acquire them, we still don't feel quite settled. They accentuated, they highlighted, they proved that we are the source of discontent. And so, as we continue to accumulate and try to improve ourselves to get rid of that, the problem and the confusion only worsens. And the proof is shown once again that the eyes of man are never satisfied. Now, we are discontent with ourselves. The problem is we can't buy our way out of that, we can't rescue ourselves from that. We can't save ourselves out of that. There's nothing we could buy that's going to deal with that. And because then we're discontent with ourselves, we can't be content with anything. Because we're discontent with ourselves, we can't be content with anything. Nothing is good enough because we actually don't see ourselves as good enough. And we aren't good enough. We're right in that self-assessment. We are broken and wicked, evil and wrong. Nothing can satisfy us because the problem is us. We're broken and evil, wicked and wrong. And our dissatisfaction with things, our dissatisfaction with circumstances is really just a projection of our dissatisfaction with ourselves. This was Eve's issue in the garden. It wasn't that the other trees in the garden weren't good enough. It wasn't that God in his presence wasn't good enough. It was rather that Eve did not see herself as good enough. And so she was told by the serpent that if she ate the fruit, her eyes would be opened and she would be like God. Was she blind previously? Were her eyes closed? Could she not see? Did they need to be opened? Was she not created in the image of God? Did she really need to be like God? You see, what happened in the garden was the allure of more. How much is enough? Just a little bit more. All the trees in the garden. Oh, but just a little more. 
because we are not satisfied with who we are. And this is a difficult situation for humanity. The writer of Ecclesiastes highlighted this in chapter 1 verse 8 when he said, everything is wearisome beyond description. Can I get a witness? Everything is wearisome beyond description. No matter how much we see, we are never satisfied. No matter how much we hear, we are not content. So how then do we, humanity, climb our way out of this wearisome pit of discontentment that is caused by self and drives all of our behavior? and affects and touches every one of our relationships. How do we climb our way out of this wearisome pit of discontent? That is what the author is getting at in verse 3 today when he says, All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ. Notice, first of all, that the passage starts with praise to God. All praise be to God the Father, the Lord of our Jesus Christ. We've already been given numerous reasons to praise God just in the first two verses. We learned in verse 1 that even though we are actually dirty, we have a new identity as God's holy people, saints, because of the work of Christ. We learn in verse 2 that even though we are undeserving, we've been given grace. You learn in verse 2 that even though we are broken and enemies of God, we have wholeness and peace because of Christ. We've already been given ample reason to praise God in the text. And now Paul starts to praise. Now Paul says, praise be to God. Praise God, he says. Why? Because he is the one who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ. The proper response, of course, is praise. But what does it all mean? What does it mean that we've been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms? Well, first of all, notice the past tense. Who has blessed us? Okay? Notice that it's something that God has already done. It's done for us by the Father. It's not future. It's finished and present. Who has blessed us. Nothing that we did. Something that God has done already, accomplished, finished for us. And it's immediate and present in our lives. It's not us. It's God. It's already done. It's present in our lives. Notice the why, though, before we get to the what. The why is because we have been united with Christ. It's not anything that you could ever do. God has blessed you because you're so awesome. That's not what it says. God has blessed you because you're such a good Christian. It's not what it says. God has blessed you because you're so good at keeping the rules. That's not what it says. God has blessed you because you've given X amount of money. That's not what it says. God has blessed you because you're on the teardown team. Though he will, that's not what it says. (laughs) We are blessed because we are united with Christ. 
It is not anything you are or have done. It is who Christ is and what he has done for you. You are unworthy and undeserving. I am unworthy and undeserving. We are blessed because of who Jesus is and what Jesus has done for us. What does it mean to be united with Christ? We are united with Christ by faith. When we put all of our hope in who Jesus is and what he did for us on the cross, when we believe on him, when we put our faith in that, when we confess with our mouth, Jesus is Lord and believe from our hearts that Christ raised him from the dead, as Romans 10 says. When we repent of our sins and come to Jesus saying, I don't understand it all, but I believe I'm a sinner who deserves wrath and I believe that you took my place on the cross, took the wrath of God for me and that you conquered sin, death, and the devil and rose from the dead and that you rule and you reign and you love me. You're wanting to forgive me of my sins because of the Father's love. When we come to God and repent of our sins and turn to Christ in faith, we are then, the Bible says, united to Christ. So that what is true about Christ becomes true about us. Because he's the head, we're the body. He's the representative of redeemed humanity. So that the benefits that Christ has become the benefits that we have. So as Christ is deserving of all blessing, we who are in him through faith united to him have been given by the Father every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms. Now, what sort of blessings are these? We're not talking about normal blessings. Okay, normal blessings are for everybody. Uh, Jesus said in Matthew 5, 45, that God causes his son to shine on the evil and the good alike. He causes his rain to fall on the just and the unjust alike. There's something called common grace. Okay, certain blessings that all of humanity has. The ocean and surfing, greatest one right there. Marriage, relationships, love, the earth, everything that is in it, beauty, art, the ability to work and accumulate wealth and have fun. God's general grace on humanity. Well, that's for the evil and the wicked, the evil and the good alike, the just and the unjust. But here, these blessings in verse 3, are only for those who have been united with Christ. Okay? It's only for those who have put their faith in Jesus Christ, repented of their sins, put their faith in Jesus, been born again, you're a new creation in Christ. These things are only for you and not the rest of the world. Notice that they are called spiritual blessings. What that means is that they are not material in nature. It may mean that they're the product of the Holy Spirit in our lives, that's true, but it also means that they're not material in nature. Ah, shucks. Because we love material blessings. And there's nothing wrong with material blessings. And God will, God may bless you materially. And I want all the material blessings God has for me. That, that is a way that God blesses his people. But that's not what's in view in the text. Spiritual blessings. You see, the reason that this is so wonderful is because there's just no material thing that could ever remedy the discontent we have with ourselves. 
And so when we're united with Christ, we're brought into these spiritual blessings. And spiritual blessings are of a different quality, nature, and value. In the heavenly realm, this is the stuff of eternity. Every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realm. Now, as I told you before, this is one long sentence. All the way through verse 14. So what those blessings are, roll off of Paul's pen next. Okay? Verse 4, continuing on. Here's what the blessings are. Even before he made the world, God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Christ. This is what he wanted to do. It gave him great pleasure. So we praise God for the glorious grace he has poured out on us who belong to his dear son. He's so rich in kindness and grace that he purchased our freedom with the blood of his son and forgave our sins. He has showered his kindness on us along with all wisdom and understanding. These are the spiritual blessings in the heavenly realm that are ours when we are united to Christ. The fact that God loves us, verse 4. That God chose us. That we are holy and without fault in his eyes when we're in Christ. That God has adopted us into his family. That God delights in us. It says he gave him great pleasure to adopt us. God delights in you. God has poured out his glorious grace on us. We belong to God's son. God purchased our freedom with Christ's blood. God forgave our sins. God has showered us with kindness. So that what the Christian is able to say is that because I've repented of my sins and put my faith in the person and finished work of Jesus Christ, I have gone from discontent to blessed. Because the problem of my discontentments was more than any material thing could ever remedy. And through the benefits and the blessings of belonging to Christ, I have gone from discontent to blessed. From discontent to loved. You are loved by God. From discontent to chosen. You are chosen by God. From discontent to holy. You are God's holy people. From discontent to adopted into God's own family. From discontent to delighted in. You exist for God's good pleasure. From discontent to one upon whom God has poured out his grace. From discontent to one who is owned by Christ. From discontent to one who is bought by the blood of Christ. From discontent to one who is free and forgiven. From discontent to one who is a recipient of divine kindness. You are those things. That is your identity, Christian. That is your identity. You are, you want to do it? Do it. Go ahead, do it. You are loved, chosen, holy, adopted, all those things. That is our identity. Because remember, now, the source of our discontent has always been ourselves. We're not satisfied with ourselves because we feel unlovable. We, we feel rejected. We feel dirty. We feel ashamed. We feel abandoned. We feel that we've disappointed. We feel deserving of wrath. We feel trapped in our sin and we feel burdened by guilt. And all of that is true. 
And no material thing and no amount of material things could ever remedy the problem with you. Only the work of Jesus Christ on your behalf on the cross could ever deal with the problem of you. And bring us into these blessings that once and for all finally make us content by providing new identity, a new self. Behold, if any man or woman is in Christ, they are a new creation. They used to have the identity of ashamed, dirty, rejected, unlovable, abandoned, disappointed, deserving of wrath, trapped in sin, weighed down by guilt. Now they have the identity of loved, chosen, holy, adopted, delighted in, grace-given, Christ-owned, blood-bought, free and forgiven, recipients of divine kindness. So that the issues of discontentment, I want more, I deserve more, why can't I have that, I've earned this, are once and for all finally solved. Because we realize that what we actually deserve is death and hell. But because of the love of the Father and what Christ has done for us, we have been given all these things by being united to him in faith. So that humanity, when it comes to Christ, can finally be content. Finally be in a state of peaceful happiness. Finally be satisfied with achievement. Finally be free from always wanting just a little bit more. We can only ever be satisfied in Christ. You know, in this life, there's a certain degree of inequity, even among Christians. We will have varying degrees of material blessings. It's just the way it is. It's the way it's always been. We have varying degrees of material blessings. But in spiritual terms, we don't merely have some blessings and others have more. We have all of these things in Christ. Every one of us has all of these things in Christ. So that really, truly, if we, if we think honestly about the gospel and what Christ has done for us and our identity in him, then really, truly, there's no room for discontentment. Oh, I know that we struggle with it. Believe me, I struggle probably more than anybody. But if we start to think biblically, if we start to take our thoughts captive to Christ, if, if, if we start to ruminate, meditate upon the truth of the gospel and who we are in light of what Christ has done, then at the end of the day, the responsible, authentic Christian must say that there is no room for discontentment because I'm loved. I've been chosen. I'm, I'm holy. I'm, I'm adopted. I'm delighted in. I have grace. I'm Christ-owned. I'm blood-bought. I'm free and forgiven. I've been given divine kindness. And yet I struggle every single day with discontentment. And so what I find myself having to do is that I have to choose in my life to give more attention to the message of Christ than the message of culture. 
Culture counts on you being dissatisfied with who you are. Nobody gets paid unless you're dissatisfied. So, so, so the message is always, you're not good enough. You don't have enough. You don't measure up. You need to get more. And the moment you get more, pff, that's nothing. Look at this. That's what Apple does. I hate them. So I, I find that I need to be incredibly purposeful about paying more attention to the message of Christ, the gospel and my new identity in him than I do the message of culture, the never-ending, wearisome trap of dissatisfaction and discontentment. And I'll say this in closing. Being blessed means, and this has been very meaningful for me in my life, being blessed means that you're not cursed. I, I, I don't know about you, but I, there's been times in my life where I've, I've, felt, I've felt cursed. And, and I, I, know, I know that's self-centered and, and egocentric and on a world scale, I could never say I'm anything but blessed. But when my daughter was diagnosed with a rare form of cancer, only one out of 500 kids, and, and then when she was re-diagnosed, when she didn't just have a tumor, but she had a Nerf ball sized, Nerf football sized tumor. And then when she relapsed, and it wasn't just that there was a little bit of growth, but in six weeks she'd grown a tumor the size of a large grapefruit. And only one out of 80 kids in America has that happened to them. It's hard to not have moments where an honest, authentic man says, Am I cursed? I don't feel blessed. I feel cursed. But what we come to discover, if we will persevere, if we'll return to the gospel day after day, if we'll cling to the robe of Christ in our desperation, is we'll learn that circumstances are fleeting and changing and that this too shall pass. But these blessings that are ours in Christ shall never change. They are an imperishable inheritance that is always and will always be ours. And what I find is that the blessings of Christ are far greater than the apparent cursing of the world. And when we do that, we can actually experience the joy of the Lord being our strength. The joy of the Lord is our strength. So for those of us who have been united with Christ by faith, we have to make a daily choice as to which is the greater truth. That my temporal circumstances are often dissatisfying or that my identity and blessings in Christ are overwhelming. You need to make a choice, Christian. A daily choice. If you're going to be true to what God has done for you in Christ. Is it that your temporal circumstances are so dissatisfying? That may be true. But it's not the greater truth that our identity and blessings in Christ far outweigh those things. And then that, that has to affect how we live. Heavenly does not mean of no earthly good. When it says in the heavenly realm, it doesn't mean, oh, for later. 
It's not what it means. It's the stuff of eternity. But remember, identity always causes action. We have a new identity through being united with Christ and all these blessings that are ours. And identity always forms action. So these truths and, and being blessed in this way affects it the way that we live. Affects the way that we live. Excuse me. Here's how. Knowing who we are and what we have in Christ allows us to enjoy who we know and what we have on earth much, much more. It's not that Christ wants you to disenjoy, to shun altogether the things of common grace. It's that by being united with him, he makes him sweeter than ever before. Because we no longer need them. We needed them in our previous dissatisfaction and discontentment. We needed them when our identity was insecure and unsustainable. But having come to Christ, having been saved, being united with him, we don't need those things anymore. We have everything that we need in Christ. So that what we discover then is that we can love each other more because we need each other less. I'm no longer pinning my hopes on other people, my dreams on other people, my well-being on other people. So because I need them less, because I have everything that I need in Christ, I can actually love them more. And it's the same with things. We can enjoy things more because we need them less. If you get who you are in Christ and the blessings that are yours in him, you will enjoy everything in life and every relationship you have more because of what you have in Christ. Because when we needed them, all they could ever do is disappoint us because nothing else can bear the burden of Godhead except for Christ. So when we put our hope in them and we look for well-being in them, identity in them, they could only ever disappoint us. That, that, that's what Eve discovered. How disappointed was Eve? How disappointed was Eve at the empty promises? What we need is Christ, through whom the Father has given us every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms, so that we are those who say, all praise to God. Some of you, before you praise God today, need to repent of looking for your contentment and satisfaction and all these other things. That's what shaped and formed your identity, your thoughts, your feelings, and your actions. And it's fruitless, and your life is meaningless and pitiful. You need to repent of that and come to Jesus, for whom you were made. And I promise, will love you like you've never been loved before. Come to Jesus. Lord, thank you. That you made us to enjoy you. And that you saved us from our sins so that we might actually experience that spark of creation, that, that initial thing that you wanted to do. Lord, we would pray together here that if there's anyone in this place that hasn't repented of their sins and come to you, anyone here who's been running after identity and contentment and satisfaction anyplace else, we ask that today they'd run to you. 
that you give them the grace to repent and put their faith in you, that they be saved and experience the forgiveness of sins, that they be showered with your kindness, that you, Holy Spirit, would speak to them and say, you are loved, holy, adopted, you belong. Lord, for those of us who already knew that but haven't really been living out of that, thank you for your truth today and the presence of your spirit in this place. Help us too to repent of wrong affections. Thank you for the power of the greater affection of God in Christ. Prayer team will be up here if you need anything. Communion is here. Carpets are here. The Lord is here.